Scubub's has the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 445 is recorded live April 23rd, 2020. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Chilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where we're waiting for the groundhog to tell us if we've got uh, another month of quarantine or how long it's going to last. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. Glad to be here. And also joining us this week, we have Kevin Ailes. How are you doing today, Kevin? I am doing simply marvelous tell you i'm doing a lot better than that quarantine groundhog if, it, if i can get a hold of them there yeah yeah see you know if if it was only that easy to sacrifice a groundhog and everything would be fine but no such luck oh I give it a but, shot uh, yeah we we in in the meantime we've got a, a great activity we like to refer to as bsing about scuba diving so i'd say uh let's get to that um I'll, I'll, you know, a lot's been going on. I apologize for missing, missing, missing last week. Uh, we had some technical issues. I don't know what was going on with the internet, but we had, I had no hope. I had started trying to get the software running and connected at about 6 PM, which is really early. Normally I wait till I give it about 15 minutes and we went all the <laughs> way till about nine 30. And I finally just called it cause it couldn't do it. And then I, I took the computer into a location with much faster internet. And I could see why there was a ton of updates just for discord. I had nine updates that the darn thing applied. So, uh, it's all updated, ready to go. And we are ready to talk about some diving. So the first article we have up on the list is a uh, boat prop kills uh, a diver. And uh, it said two were killed in Palm Beach County, both boat incidents. And this is about a, this was uh, March 31st. Uh, a Space Coast woman died in a diving incident off Palm Beach Inlet. Uh, the Melbourne woman was killed when she and her husband were caught under a dive boat off the Rivian Beach, a Riviera Beach. And a Tesco man died when his boat slammed into a dock, throwing him in the water. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Concert. Bation commissioner said the boat diving incident might have violated the rules of Palm Beach County's issued March 22nd for the coronavirus outbreak. Those rules, rules closed all marina operations. County officials said Tuesday they were searching the issue. Molly Gitz Flynn, 37, was killed about 10 a.m. Sunday. The 48-foot commercial dive boat Southern Comfort was about a mile and a half southeast of Palm Beach Inlet. Divers were returning to it. When Gitz Flynn and the second diver were pulled under the boat, Florida Wildlife Commission report does not say how that happened. The agency said the boat's propeller struck and trapped Flynn and the other divers and crew were unable to free her. Others on the Southern Comfort eventually pulled her on board and gave her CPR. Coast Guard and the Fish and Wildlife Commission brought the boat to the Riviera Beach Marina where the fire rescue met them. The agency said seven other divers were not hurt. 
they're not able to say which of uh, of those was the second diver pulled under the boat. But Gitz Flynn's father, Jack Gitz, said Tuesday from Melbourne that it was her husband, Sean. Uh, Gitz said his son-in-law was traumatized but not injured. I commend him for doing a valiant effort, he said. He called his daughter the most wonderful, beautiful person in the world. She could do no wrong. She was glued to the family. Everybody loved her. Uh, her Facebook page says she worked for the Melbourne area landscaping supply store. The person there declined to comment. Divers other than Glitz Flynn and her husband were aboard the Southern Comfort on Sunday morning. Either could not be reached for comment or declined to comment to the newspaper. Uh, they say there are no citations or charges been filed this week, but the investigation isn't finished. That is horrible. There was some ordinance that was supposed to be out there that you're not allowed to be or exiting a boat if the engines are running. That's true. Engines are obviously running. Right. Well, I mean, a lot of the larger boats, the, the, aren't they at an idle at all times? I mean, they, they could shut them off, but it depends on the condition. Uh, this sounds like it was an operator error would be my guess, wouldn't you say? It's hard to say at this point. I mean, you don't get pulled under generally and get entangled if the prop is not moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't, I mean, I guess there's no way you want to be <laughs> caught in a prop, but it sounds like this was a very bad instance of that happening and, uh, you know, uh, definitely a tragedy. You know, we get a few of those every year with people, you know, getting run over by boats, whether they're out here you know, water skiing, tubing. Uh, we hear about the stories of scuba divers. It's tragic, terrible thing. I mean, that. <sighs> When you have a lot of people enjoying a sport, you are going to have some accidents. You know, I, I know Mac has uh, yeah. quoted the statistics for how often people are injured scuba diving, and it's uh, a little bit more than inter- injured during uh, skydiving, but then less than that are injured a lower percentage that are injured, you know, just regular driving. So it's <laughs> when you have such a large number of people who are enjoying a sport, you are going to have injuries. Yeah, my uh, my my grandfather used to own the Saugatuck Marine uh, there in Saugatuck, and uh, he would have a picture in the drawer of his desk, and it was of somebody he pulled out of the river who had been run over by a boat. So anytime he saw people, especially teenagers, screwing around and running over, he would call them into his office and show them the photo, and he says, you know, this is what you have to look forward to if you keep that activity up. And... Uh, his description of the picture was not something that you wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so un- unfortunately it's, this is not as uncommon as we would like it to be. Let's see. We've got, let's see if I can pull up one of these other articles. Uh, let, let, let's do the next one. Um, you know, as these, uh, you know, we, we've talked about the economy is certainly going to take a hit. And I don't think we even understand the depth of what that's going to be. But uh, we're seeing some of it, and the, the first ones are going to go are going to be those who are weak uh, for a variety of reasons. And out of uh, the Cayman Islands, we have uh, uh, the Don Foster's Dive Shop has announced that they are going to go out of business. Um, it's long considered an institution in the Cayman Islands industry for more than three decades, and it has become the latest victim of the coronavirus. Uh, no, I'm not seeing a link for that here in the in the show notes. Uh, I did not send that one out. That was one of the bonus ones. 
So I think I've okay. got it in. Did I put it? I'm going to paste in the chat room so you can. If, if, you, if can you can forward it. me the link to it, if you can forward me the email with the with the uh, links in it, I will paste them in the chat room for our uh, listeners. Yeah, let me see if I can get the email to even come up to where I can do that. Yeah, that link is up there now for Don Foster. I just pasted it in there. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to try and forward these other ones. Whether we get to them or not, I don't know. But okay. oh, email. Yeah, if you Internet. send them to, to my rec hunter, then I'll try to have them loaded, and I can just spool them up here while you're doing your yeah. spiel. Yeah, well, I'm waiting for my email to come up. I'll just mention that uh, earlier today, uh, SpaceX launched another batch of satellites. Or was it today or yesterday? But uh, they're up to 420 satellites orbiting. And what, they're, what they've announced is that in three months, they're going to start doing uh, closed beta testing. And then in six months, there'll be public beta testing. So I am hoping I can get in on one of those. Because they're promising gigabit speeds, you know, provided you can see the sky. Well, we can't looking. see the sky very often here in Michigan. You know, we're in that time of year. Uh, <laughs> we get to see the sky like what July and August. So, yeah, yeah. Don't put me. Don't put me on the uh, Pure Michigan campaign right now. So, I'm not selling it. Oh, oh! I hit the wrong button. That'll cost me an hour. I didn't mean to take you off track there, Darren. Uh, feel free to do as you please. I, if I if I have the email, I can share the links for our chat room. Otherwise, they they'll just follow along like usual. Yeah, I'm I'm stopped now, so I'm gonna get these knocked out. <laughs> Derek, I hate you. <laughs> yeah. Is he telling us how quick his internet is? No, he's oh, showing no, he's uh, showing us nice. skies. Blue sky. Yeah, blue skies. Yeah. That, that's when things have gone horribly wrong. You're not putting enough smog in the air. Stop that. Well, generally here, it really only gets cloudy once a year. It starts in November and ends about, like, I don't know, mid-May. Yeah. There's a reason why we have the lakes here, you know. <laughs> they got to keep on refilling the lakes to make it for the evaporation. And the lakes, as you see, are rising. <laughs> Uh, well, since, since we're on the downtrend, so I like, I like to start off with some nice depressing news and then work our way up. Uh, here's a UK retailer, Simply Scuba, is going into administration, which for those in the U.S., the translation is bankruptcy. Uh, the blow to the UK diving industry, Simply Scuba is an appointed administrator today, putting 32 jobs at risk. Administrators in the UK is similar to Chapter 11 in the U.S., Faversham Kent based Simply Group is known for well known brands in the UK diving scene, have been trading for 25 years as a winning dive retailer for 10 years in a row. In addition to Simply Scuba brand, the company also specializes in beachwear, outdoor clothing, equipment through other brands like Simply Swim and Simply Hike. Uh, DeepBlue.com understands administrators are hoping to sell the company rather than shut it down and have asked for interested parties to submit bids. By Thursday, April 30th, wow, they're expected to have interest from bidders and the buyers, but the current economics uncertainty, it's not clear whether that is possible. See, sometimes here in the U.S., when you declare bankruptcy, it's just a way of uh, clearing out some of your bad business decisions and renegotiating with your creditors. But 
it, it doesn't sound like that's what they're trying to do here. It sounds like they're genuinely in trouble. And if they want to stay open, they have to sell. And then Mac, I'm going to get back to, uh, some of the articles that you sent. Uh, the first one is avoiding any infections from scuba equipment. Are you confident your regulator remains pathogen free? And, uh, was this from, uh, which title Mac? Did I lose Mac? Mac, you there? It was a depth diving and others diver alert network came up with items like that. Okay. So it says COVID-19 infections from others may now be the focus of keeping your diving gear clean, especially if you're using rented or borrowed scuba equipment. They said carry your own mouthpiece may bring a peace of mind, but remember the air you inhale is rattled around inside the body of a second stage of the regulator before it gets to you. You need to be confident the regulator remains pathogen free, especially if it's been rented. Uh, they said in closed circuit equipment, the rebreather counter lung mirrors the owner's own lungs. So it's essential that no lung infections get introduced in a closed circuit. The medium of choice is recommended to major CCR manufacturers. It appears to be a one to 100 solution of chem gene HLD4L. One should soak the counter lungs and corrugated breathing hoses to kill any pathogens then pathogens and thoroughly rinsed in potable fresh water. Chem Green HLD4L is a high level laboratory surface dis- disinfectant and has claimed efficient efficiency. No, that's not it. Yeah, you know, it works <laughs> against viruses as well as microbacterial and fungal. And in the show notes, we have a link to that. Unfortunately, the company is closed for the duration is now unable to ship orders. Another disinfectant, one recommended by Poseidon for its CCRs is, goodness, Schluck Gigazyme, which is ready and available through most of its CCR distributors. According to the Center of Disease Control, CDC, many household cleaners are effective against coronavirus. Sterilizing equipment can be immersing it in 10% solution of household bleach and using cleaning products such as uh, Sterman tablets, a comprehensive list of products suggested by the American Chemi- uh, Chemistry Council Center for Bioside Chemistries can be found, and we've got that link as well. A note of caution after disinfecting kit, always, kit always rinse with plenty of cold potable water, along with disinfectant has been washed away and then allowed to dry naturally. Also clean snorkels and BC oral inflation valves. However, now, what's that? I thought, I thought the virus really only survived for like 48 hours. I mean, uh, of course, you, you want to follow your, your cleaning regimens. With, with my rebreather, it's uh, Prism 2, and I was taught to use do the steramine and then rinse with cold water, as you're saying here. But, uh, it's not like it's going to set up camping your rebreather and, live, and, and reproduce and live there a long time. So what we used to do with the double hoses back in the day is we used the Clorox solution. The second part mm-hmm. was you damn well make sure you got all the little particles out because ingesting that doesn't taste very good. Go good down your throat. Oh, yeah. yeah. Only imagine. Well, and then the other thing is the life of the virus depends on the medium in which it's on. And what I find puzzling is that it tends to uh, survive longer on what I consider to be a surface where it shouldn't. And on stainless steel, I believe right. 
it's like seven days. So you're going to have parts within your rebreather that may be made of different material. I mean, a lot of this, it's, it's all an odds game. You know, what odds are you comfortable with for your own personal safety? Uh, so I, I mean, cleaning is always a, a good habit. So if you do some sterilization as you should, uh, <clears throat> just for general care and you do that early on and then you let it dry. And if you're going a week or two weeks between dives, then you're, I'm, I'm going to guess you're probably going to be in fairly good shape. Yeah, but but if you're good. diving every day, it's not something you're going to loan out though. I mean, whatever virus you put into that is from your system. And, you know, if you are at that point, uh, you know, with the virus, but only contagious, yeah. you know, I, I don't imagine me diving, you know, much, much longer if you already have the virus, you probably have incapacitated for well, a little while. Well, right. And, you know, as long, if you're just using your own equipment, you're fine. But if you're using somebody else's, like you said, you know, rebreathers, that's not tend to normally what I associate with rental equipment. These but articles were these articles were related to people who are going on vacation and boats and uh, other countries. They were really concerned about if you bar- used rental gear. This is the kind of stuff you want to make sure they're doing or you're going to do. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that for, for rental gear. I don't know if you can even can rent a rebreather. Where you, you know, you've kind of got to bring your own or go open circuit. But I've never heard we can rent a rebreather. They have places, although uh-huh. they do have, they do have places you can, you know, you can try them out. You know, they have workshops where mm-hmm. you can try before you buy, and they'll have a whole, you know, different varieties of them there you can try out. So that would be a concern. I would hope that those would not be, those functions would not be happening at this time, but you never know overseas. So, Right. And I think part of what they're doing is not even, so, well, they did mention rebreather specifically, but they're, also using the rebreather recommendations as kind of a baseline for all equipment. Uh, they said, however you clean your regular dropping and rinse tank uh, will undo all your good work. Maybe it's better now to hold it under a freshwater shower after a dive or just leave it as it is until the next dive. You must wonder if the virus will mean an end to rinse tanks. If you're using borrowed or rented masks, you can give a good cleaning with antiseptic wipe beforehand and then rinse it with potable fresh water. It's something to consider when trying different masks. Uh, to forfeit from a dive store. Uh, many divers today still spit in their masks to defog them, so it makes no sense to drop yours into the rinse tank, which has become a communal spit bucket. These rinse buckets have always been a major source of cross-infection between divers. Uh, there's little evidence that the infection, such as athlete's foot or uh, varicae, uh, can be transmitted to bare feet through uh, rented slipper fins, but if you're worried, it's a simple matter to employ some ordinary nylon socks, which reduce the chance of minor abrasions from rubbing. And Eric is adding that Simply Scuba has awesome content. So for more information, follow up on the article, Simply Scuba. Okay. Okay, Metal Masters. Are your tanks aluminum or steel? And this one was, uh, where'd this one come from, Mac? Undercurrent. Undercurrent. Okay, uh, so I don't have a link to this one, unfortunately, uh, but you can look at Undercurrent and uh, if you want to check it out or subscribe, which we recommend. It says, uh, at the huge international dive show in Dusseldorf, Germany in January, 
I asked many traveling divers what irked them most about diving in unfamiliar locations. Beside the obvious obvious things like local conditions and currents, one subject that cropped up time and time again was the need to do a buoyancy check despite using familiar equipment because of using unfamiliar tanks. When we dive, we work for neutral buoyancy despite some pieces of our equipment being positively buoyant and others not. We wear lead weights to counteract excessive buoyancy created by our combined gear, including the effect on the thickness of the suits and the amount of water we and our gear individually displace. Since we're generally diving with standard aluminum 80s, most of us know how much lead we need given the suit we are wearing, and then we arrive at a destination using different tanks or regular weight requirements no longer works, and we have to experiment. The bigger the tank, the more water it displaces, so the more lead is needed. Well, not quite. Underwater weight of a tank needs to be taken into consideration. It's just not a matter of aluminum or steel. Some steel tanks are manufactured in a way that the bases contain a lot of metal, making them much heavier than other steel tanks that are apparently the same size. Aluminum tanks tend to be bigger and steel tanks because of their walls much thicker than those with steel tanks. They are also lighter when immersed. On the other hand, they are heavier out of water and on your back. Steel tanks can be lighter to carry but displace less water for their mass, so you don't need to wear as much lead. In fact, a diver with steel doubles might not wear as much extra lead at all, whereas a diver with aluminum doubles will wear more than he would with a single tank. Some say it's safer to use an aluminum cylinder with the extra weight needed because of an emergency can jettison the lead. The jury's out on that one. A checkout dive lets you determine the amount of weight you need when using an unfamiliar tank. In some parts of the world, aluminum 80s, 11 liters are standard. But if you decide you need a bigger tank, you'll likely be given a steel 15-liter tank that looks like 105 cubic foot at 3,000 PSI. You'll need much less lead in the water. Your also has a weight, too. 80 cubic feet of air weighs about 5.5 pounds. Remember, the less lead in fresh water than you do in the ocean. So just some things to remember when we get back to and can actually travel and use gear from other locations. And then uh, since we're talking about tanks, they said you do not need to worry about coronavirus in your scuba tank. Um, and this is under current also, isn't it, Mac? Yes. Uh, we've heard a few divers are concerned that the gas in their tank might be contaminated with coronavirus, but you can relax. To begin with, operators instruct to position the air intake for the compressor well away from any contamination source, such as carbon monoxide from a hydrocarbon hydrocarbon fueled engine exhaust and smoke from a cigarette or even a puff. The intake normally at the end of a long pipe is positioned to suck fresh air. On dive vessels with compressors, it's usually high up in the top deck, for example. In the unlikely event of a COVID-19 sufferer happening to be coughing close to this intake, any droplets of body fluid, saliva, or mucus expired, getting past the air filter intake, filter inside the intake, and the air that experiences heating at the first stage compressor, due to the effects of compression, initial temperature is in excess of 212 degrees Fahrenheit or 100 degrees Celsius, which you understand would destroy any virus. Even after the air has been cooled, you'll surely notice the freshly filled tank is still hot. Water vapors also squeeze out as a byproduct of compression, and this is drained off in the compressor in the form of condensate. The chances of any virus fully reaching the compressed air's main filter stack are remote. The filter of the compressor contains activated charcoal, which removes all removes any oil flavor, provided it doesn't get wet, from the compressor itself and the molecular sleeve. 
So don't worry about coronavirus getting inside your tank. An operator, however, might exercise caution if someone with the virus had been on the premises. The chances of virus building up the filter would be extremely hazardous for the person who changed and disposed of the filter cartridge, but this is unlikely and still it would be no risk for the person who ultimately gets the filled tank. So don't worry about coronavirus inside your tank. Focus instead on keeping your regular mask clean and keeping six-foot distance from other people. So what they're pretty much saying is the location of the intake is going to be in a spot you shouldn't be able to get anybody with coronavirus breathing in anyway. And should that happen uh, between the filter and the high temperature caused by the compression process, which is filling your tank, it's going to kill any virus that would remain. That makes sense. Sounds like and most then they're saying steel tanks now anyway. Most of the people in the chat room are bragging right. about their steel tanks right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I, I'm still aluminum, but I would go to steel in a second. Um, I've been waiting to do a set of doubles, which I may be getting too old for, but we'll see. They're yeah. saying during lock dive, why not learn to scuba dive from home? Uh, with the spread of COVID-19 as most of the world in lockdown, travel plans are canceled and vacation plans abandoned. Uh, it's important to remember not to allow, that, that you're not allowed to feel disappointment. We are dealing with a lot right now. Adjusting new normal brings up a lot of different feelings, which all are valid. And that's a long way of saying, why not give open water diving a try? Patty, uh, this article is specifically talking about this from Forbes magazine. But I know SSI and all the other agencies are also doing online training. So it's a perfect time to get out and uh, do some, you contact the dive center. I even see that some dive centers are actually even doing classes, uh, including the checkout dives uh, during this time. You know, you can check out, you can contact your dive center and they'll explain to you the process. Uh, But step one, they said, is uh, it takes about 8 to 15 hours to complete. Uh, the first step is knowledge development. This is where you just learn the basics of scuba diving. And then you have step two, confined water dives. And step three, the open water dive. So as I had said, we are seeing that some dive shops, you know, just about every dive shop will do step one. Uh, confined water dives are going to depend on the environments that the dive shop has accessible to them. But we are seeing some dive shops who are able to do the confined water dives. And then some, depending on location, are also able to do the open water dives. Well, keep it rolling. You know, we, we always want to have more divers in the sport. And they can manage to get people certified safely and more power to them. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're going to learn something, why not learn scuba diving? Why not learn something that when you finally do get out there, you can really take advantage of? Well, you know, it's been a popular topic on Facebook that... You know, and underwater is certainly social distancing. You know, there, there have been some concerns about, okay, what if your buddy needs to breathe off your octo? Well, if your buddy is in out, you know, in an out of air situation, um, of course, given your octo, there's <laughs> air. Air is more important than worrying about COVID. Of course, COVID is a concern as well. But uh, you know, maybe bring a bailout with yeah. you, so you won't you won't need to worry about going off your buddy's octo. You could you could have your own bailout, and you wouldn't have to do that. Yeah, so. and it's something that that you know, we have discussed around here is uh, you know how do you maintain social distancing uh, and so go scuba diving, you know, and it's pretty simple. I mean, uh, you may have to you know modify your suiting up routine because you know if you need your buddy in order to 
zip the back of your dry suit, that's going to be a problem there. You might have to have your someone in your household zip your dry suit for you or figure something out creatively with a hook of some sort to zip your dry suit because, you know, if your buddy does that and they're not in your household, then you're violating your social distancing guidelines. Now, I know that it varies from, you know, country to country. I think the SD, the social distancing guidelines are a national standard here, and it's six feet. I'm not certain on that being a national standard. Uh, Derek, do you have any kind of social distancing guidelines in Australia in effect right now? Derek is typing 1.5 meters, so a pro, so uh, just shy of five feet. So, yes, they have uh, guidelines there as well. Uh, varies from place to place. But uh, underwater, um, I guess you need to bring a seven-foot hose to the underwater. If your buddy needs your octo, you're not in the – I'm sure it's not going to go through the water there. But, uh, you know, in the yeah. spirit of well, in, the guidelines. If he's using your octo, it doesn't matter. You're using your own regulator. He's got the octo. Just clean the octo when you're done. Yeah. 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 In And the one thing that I'm – the – the social distancing, and I've been practicing social distancing, and I, I encourage others to do so as well. But bearing in mind that social distancing is not a a magic bullet that guarantees you're not going to get it. Right. Uh, right. You know, in, in industry, we actually do more of a risk-based, not specifically with COVID, but with anything. And six foot doesn't really mean anything. You could be one foot and be safe and you can be 30 foot and be at risk. Um, you know, uh, if you've watched Mythbusters and years ago, they did the, uh, you know, how far can a sneeze go? So, and they've shown that it goes much farther than six feet. So if you have somebody sneezing uncovered without a mask, you know, they're sending phlegm and projectile 20 feet. You know, yeah. it's not like at six yeah. feet, there's a magic barrier and it stops that. Uh, so what I'm hoping is that there's reasonable precautions that could be taken as we get uh, more experience and a better understanding of this and just some best practices. And we can offset some of this with training. Uh, you know, is there a way to train people so that they can be in close proximity? Because I think that you could safely zip somebody up and you're technically violating that, that six-foot distance. But you may have to take some other precautions. I mean, would you have to have uh, some sort of mask, some sort of shield, you know, turn your head? Uh, you know, what is it that you'd have to do to make sure that both you and the person you're zipping up is safe? And I think that could be worked out. But, you know, in the early stages of this, they're, you know, they're trying to keep the guidelines simple so that anybody, no matter who it is, uh, they can reduce the chance. And, and a part of this is just, you know, we know X number of people who get it if we don't do anything. And by doing the simple six foot social distancing, we cut that in half. So, you know, maybe some risk-based approach and some training, we can even knock down further and get some additional functionality in there. Well, hopefully they can work in, you know, a little more functionality in the long term on this, because we're going to be dealing with it for some time in our future. I, I know that for right now they had to kind of throw in some draconian measures which really suck, to put it nicely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. When you're dealing with a large population and many folks who are, you know, aren't going to cooperate with it, uh, they had to be pretty heavy-handed with it, and it's re really been, been, you know, d depressing. You know, I mean, although when you look at, you know, the losses going on out there, I mean, giving up boating for a while is kind of small potatoes. It sucks, but it's, you know, 
Yeah. Not not that huge of a deal, but you know, thing is, is that our local DNR here is watching a lot of these access sites. You know, I mean, uh, around Michigan, uh, you know, they posted signs on all of your lakes and bolt ramps and public accesses that, you know, it's now clo- now closed to using motors. Uh, you know, but the, but the the DNR, you know, they watch the areas, and when they see people who are violating the social distancing guidelines they come back with with chains and padlocks and you know that's why we're losing our accesses and it's yeah i I, believe me i'm not in support of it i've taken a lot of heat for explaining the rules to to different folks about you know it'd be nice if we could you know kind of monitor ourselves so we're not breaking the rules and losing our accesses there but but what it we're seeing here in the media uh clearly the divers are heavily outnumbered by the fishermen, and we have a lot of areas where the fishermen just don't give a damn. And, you know, I mean, we had all the, started off with a lot of boat ramps up in Leland area being closed down, and then the DNR closed down Tippy Dam fishing area because they've witnessed folks who were not adhering to social distancing guidelines. Here, uh, you know, Kalamazoo locally, they've closed down all the county parks for the same reason. Uh, I've heard the township parks are next. I don't know when that's going to happen, but uh, there's talk about that as well. Um, you know, if people aren't, the government's taking this seriously. You know, yeah. like it or not, whether you believe in it or not. Uh, if you violate, we're going to lose our recreation. And actually, here in Michigan, we're pretty fortunate to have the recreation because I've been looking at the guidelines in other states. Uh, I posted a picture on my Facebook of running our boat from last year. And uh, one of my buddies, Nicholas, posts on there, you must be in, in Indiana. You know, I thought, maybe I could go to Indiana. So I check out the guidelines in Indiana. They don't even have the recreation uh, options that we do. You know, here in Michigan, at least, recreation is an accepted reason to leave your house in the lockdown time. Indiana doesn't have that, at least not to the scope that we have. So... Yeah, yeah, it sucks, but there are areas of country a whole lot worse than we got it. So yeah, I mean, and that goes to that you just have to follow or consider what your local guidelines are before you go out there. To get on my political soapbox, so people can fast forward about two minutes here. But uh, you know, I as as long as I believe government is acting in our best intentions, they 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 have a little bit of leeway, uh, and the closer it is to the point and when something is believed to be a risk, uh, you know, you give them a little bit of time where they can make some mistakes. The longer you go from that point, uh, my assumption is that you're going to have more data and better education. You're going to make better decisions. Uh, and as you start getting four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks past that time, if those decisions don't seem to be following sound scientific and logic, then there's going to be some question. I think that's what's kind of happened in many cases, you know, some of it in Michigan, some of it in other areas. And unfortunately, media is all about uh, what can they get you to click on and what can they get to get the the publicity. And I think that they've miscategorized some of what's been going on. Plus, being a former law enforcement person is – the reason law enforcement works is largely an illusion because we, as a law enforcement officer, we couldn't stop shit. 
we were outnumbered by the population 10,000 to one. So what you're hoping is that 99% of the people are law abiding so you can deal with the 1% that aren't. And sometimes when you're making rules, you're making rules because you're hoping to relieve the pressure on your limited law enforcement. And that's what I think happened in the case of the DNR boat ramps is they don't have the time to be going and saying, oh, guys, you're at three feet. You need to be at six feet. And then to take the other side of that argument is that I have seen more people uh, be called on because they're not social distancing when they're in the same household. Law enforcement doesn't know that Bob and Bill live in the same house. So, you know, when Miss McGillicuddy on the corner starts calling saying people aren't social distancing, there's no reason for that person to be social distancing because of the same family unit. But law enforcement doesn't know it, doesn't know that. And they have eight calls they got to get with and they're trying to be as diplomatic as they can to handle them. You know, no excuse, but, uh, you know, it's just a, a shit show all the way around. I mean, there's just no good way. And unfortunately, media is just making it that these people are good and these people are bad. And we're in an election year, which has just multiplied everything 10 times. So that, that's my soapbox. Uh, so uh, what my approach is, is, and unfortunately, it, it's it's hurting a lot of people, is I'm just not doing anything. You know, I've got, I'm, I'm very fortunate for people in my family. We're all essential workers. We're all going to work in different areas. One's in healthcare, one's in public service, one's in IT infrastructure, one's in logistics. So, you know, if there's a way of getting it, somebody in my household's getting it. Uh, and I hope it's not the case, but uh, this is, you know, let, let's hope a year from now we're, we're all sharing a drink and a dive and, uh, everybody's healthy. And that kind of brings us to the next point, uh, which is divers who have suffered from coronavirus may never be able to dive again. And this is according to a senior physician, Frank Hartig of the Innsbruck University Clinic in Austria. The clinic has treated dozens of coronavirus sufferers, including six active divers, none of who have been treated in the hospital, but cured themselves in home quarantines. And they are considered to be recovered. But the damage in the lungs is irreversible, said Hartig. After COVID-19 infection, even if you only have a mild symptom, you should definitely have a dive doctor examine you thoroughly, even if you still have an upright medical examination. And the the Undercurrent magazine said that they're going to provide complete article in the May issue. So take a look at that. Uh, We're seeing more and more reports, and I have checked and I've I've been able to cite four different services uh, sources that are saying that even people who are not hospitalized or seen by a doctor, it's a lot of people, even a systematic, which I'm probably by saying that it's not the correct definition, that they are finding scarring in the lungs and reduce, reduced ability to absorb oxygen. And do you want to be a science experiment? We don't know what uh, impact that's going to have on your ability to dive. And then uh, Karen, a chat room that says, yeah, they're finding a lot of people with COVID who get microclots in their lungs. And that's something I've read in the last couple of days that's destroying lung tissue. Uh, I saw that one doctor today had said that it's almost like it's exactly opposite of Ebola, where, you know, Ebola was like the, uh, the inability of blood to clot and people were hemorrhaging where they're seeing that COVID people are extra clotting. 
So we are still in the very early stages of this. So while we might want less restrictions, you know, if it means I might not be able to dive again, I'm going to take a little bit extra precaution, hope I don't have it. Um, And I'm starting to see testing. We're not at the level we'd like to see, but we are seeing some testing uh, step up a little bit. In our area of the country, in the uh, southwest part of Michigan, uh, most of the hospitals were two weeks ago. They had to send everything out. They're able to test now in the hospitals, and they're hoping to be able to test uh, uh, and get a result in less than 15 minutes, which would be a a big improvement. Uh, We're also starting to see some new treatments here. So, um, Mac, did you have anything else from that article that you had seen? Well, that pretty much says it. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. There was another one I put out. It's uh, the infection, the silent killing coronavirus patients. Uh, they were talking about one of the items that people who were sick at home, coughing and what have you, uh, a lot of them tough it out. A lot mm-hmm. of hospitals want you to tough it out until you really can't breathe. Then you come in. They're finding out that because you waited so long to go in, you've reduced your lung function. And they were talking about a, uh, remember when they, you go to the doctor, they stick a little thing on your finger and they tell you what your percentage of oxygen is? Yeah, the, the blood the blood oxygenation. You can buy those at the drugstore. They're pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. They're recommending if you're getting sick and you're having some issues with your breathing, you really want to start checking that. And when it starts going down, you want to go in before it's down to that 50% mark because the time you can make your body compensate by the time you get down to that 50 percent and you go in there you're already screwed yeah one of the articles i was reading was saying that your body detects that your blood oxygen levels are where isn't where it should be and without you even realizing it you're taking deeper breaths and your your body's compensating it wants to have that proper amount of oxygen and when you when you get to that point where you feel like you just can't breathe and you go in, your body's done as much as it can and you, you've got damage. Uh, yeah, Karen's saying that's the oximeter. Um, and she says anything below 90% is not good. And a lot of your fitness trackers, the newer generations, I have a Fitbit that doesn't have that. But I noticed in my app in the last couple of weeks, they've got it where if you have one of the new ones, it's got that measurement for you know, for that uh, oxygen level. And, uh, you know, they're going to say it's not a medical device, but anything that gives you an early warning certainly seems like it would be worth it. Yeah, Karen's saying carbon dioxide is what uh, drives your respiratory system. Uh, So, yeah, just we we want everybody to continue diving. So uh, let's hope you can avoid this. Let's see, what's the next one we've got? I'm, I'm a little off track now. I've got links in the show notes to the uh, disinfectant, 19 pounds for that chem gene. Uh, oh, I, I've I've got an article. Was that it? Did I hit all I like of them? It. Yeah, we, we've we've got some photos, and let's paste the one from Science Alert into the the chat room. Uh, this one is a stunning Nile shipwreck. The first evidence, Herodotus wasn't lying about the Egyptian boat. This one's from April 15th in the sciencealert.com website. A sunken ship found in Nile River may have lain undisturbed for 2,500 years, but is finally ponying up secrets. Scientists think the ship has revealed 
a structure whose existence has been debated for centuries. In fragment 2.69 of Herodotus' Histories, published in 450 BCE, which is almost older than I am, the ancient Greek historian who was writing about his trip to Egypt described the trip, the type of Nile cargo boat called a barris. According to his portrayal, it was constructed like a brickwork lined with papyrus and with a rudder that passed through the hole in the keel. The steering system had seen in representation of models through the pharaonic period, pharaonic period, but we had no firm archaeological evidence of its existence until now. Enter Ship 17, a now sunken port city of Thonis Halcyon near the Copic mouth of the Nile, or the Canopic, dated in the late period 664 to 332 BCE. Here, researchers have been exploring over 70 shipwrecks, discovering countless artifacts that reveal stunning details about the ancient trade route hub and its culture. Although it's been in the water at least 2,000 years, the preservation of Ship 17 has been exceptional. Archaeologists were able to uncover 70% of the all. It wasn't until we discovered the wreck that we released Herodotus was right. Archaeological Archaeologist Damon Robinson of the Oxford Center for Maritime Archaeology told The Guardian book, The Guardian, back in 2019. And we won't hold it against them that they spelled center wrong. The ship displays several elements noted by Herodotus. The joints in the planking of the ship 17 are staggered in a way that gives it the appearance of a course of bricks, as described by Herodotus. And I'm slaughtering his name as well. The archaeologist Alexander Belov of the Center for Egyptological Studies in the Russian Academy of Sciences. In a 2013 paper, the planking on Ship 17 is assembled transversely in remarkably long tenons and can reach 1.99 meters in length, not two, but 1.99, that pass through 11 strakes. The tenons, the tenons correspond to the long and close-set stakes in the narrative. Uh, it also mentions the Barris keel, and the Ship 17 is a keel twice as thick as the planking and projects inside the hull. There are some inconsistencies. The vessel Herodotus describes had shorter tenons, which acted like ribs holding together acacia planks of the hull. Uh, the Barris didn't have reinforcing frames, and the Ship 17 had several. Both of these can be explained as Ship 17, around 27 meters long, is bigger than the uh, one he referred to. Two, uh, he describes the boat as having a long internal ribs. Nobody really knows what that meant. The structure never had seen any ar- seen archaeological before. Then we discovered that the form of construction, particular boat, it's absolutely what Herodotus had been saying. You know, the way I look at some of this is if you think of a boat as a manufactured product by different makers, who's to say that every manufacturer, craftsman of that boat would do it the same? Yeah, these are all, you know, custom design built boats and you know, every yeah. individual carpenter is gonna, you know, have his own little tweaks and you know, things he wants to add or improve, which may be improvements, may not be improvements. But yeah, mm-hmm. no even here in America with uh, all the boats that were built here in the Great Lakes, you know, there are subtle variations between even between sister ships which are built with the same plans. You know, you're you're gonna find differences between them. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't don't hold that against them. And what I think is telling is that a lot of times we look at some of these descriptions, and you had people 
that's what they felt their job was, you know, going to these other cultures and documenting all they could. And it was, you have to believe that if you're doing that, you have a passion to document that information. And unless we can find out some reason why exaggeration would be a part of that practice, why not give them the benefit of the doubt? And what we're finding is a lot of these stories told by, uh, you there, you lose you. Did you lose me? I think we lost him. Okay. Well, Heroditus is also uh, referred to by archaeologists as the the father of lies. Uh, he is known for having some great tall tales, exaggerations in his writings, uh, but also he's known for having a lot of truth there too. But it's just kind of hard to separate. And I think the point the archaeologists are making is that they were very skeptical of what uh, Heroditus had written about this ship until they they, they found one. Hey, Darren, are you back now? I heard you there for a moment. But, yeah, this is a marvelous find to find something this ancient in Egypt. Uh, I'm presuming uh, it, it's in the Nile River, so this is still fresh water here. So it hasn't had the organisms which eat the uh, eat the wood. Looks like we lost Darren. Maybe he'll be back. Um, I'll continue to bore you in the meantime here. But, uh, yeah, uh, very excellent find here. We don't find very many boats that that old, especially nothing like that here in North America, anyway. Uh, but you know, we, we have had rare examples where ships like this have turned up. You know, they have found some uh, uh, Viking ships that uh, date, they even predate this, up in the area of um, oh Stockholm. He's up in there in the rivers. They found some really old ones up there. But uh, you know, this is this is ancient stuff. This is really cool. I don't see him on that yet. Yeah, I'm guessing he's rebooting here. So, uh, what I can do since it is recording, though, I can go ahead and do the uh, safety item for today. We will have it down, and we won't have to get it out of the way. And then he can edit time factor. What do you say? Or did I just lose everybody else? Well, it looks like I'm the only one out here. <laughs> I see Dave, Derek, myself, and Eric. I think I will. Uh, anyway, this is um, the typical safety story. I got it out of Dan, which I always love. Mysterious pain. Could it be decompression compression sickness? Ivor is unsure what her symptoms indicate. So here's a recorded uh, story. Heard another inquiring, what are the signs and symptoms of DCS? I was passing by, but I stopped to listen. Responded with the question, what are you experiencing? The diver described a dull pain and tightness under both armpits and across the stomach. The diver on the boat asked if she had implants in it as her left breast appeared swollen. Buddy and I began to describe the symptoms and signs of DCS and asked the diver if she wasn't experiencing any of the other issues in any other parts of her body. The diver said no. Asked the diver what type and how she wears her BCD. Response indicated that BCD placement was in the same areas, stomach, run with a clip, armpits, shoulder straps clenched down pretty snug, the pain was located. Diver was also asked if experienced anything after her morning diet. She indicated she had blood in her mask and split a little blood. For the clarification, we asked if the blood was mucy and had she continued to spit blood and 
responds to yes to the mucus, no to continue to spit blood. After a pre- preliminary chat with a neurological assessment, it was suggested that uh, she undergo one. She agreed. The assessment responses were all negative to all the following. Numbness, tingling, dizziness, vertigo, tingling of ears, ash, itching, difficulty breathing, vision. And the pain was only localized in the armpit area where the BCD, perhaps were located, and the stomachs with the cummerbund was located. Observation of skin around these areas showed no redness or appearance of rash. The diver was wearing a two-piece swimsuit. There was no nausea or vomiting, and have any difficulty walking, weakness in the arms or legs. Mental function appeared good, alert, verbal, very responsive. No issues with orientation, meaning easily followed commands, eyes were alert, follow the finger in all directions, eye twitching, response to light touch, was good motor functions, sensory functions felt good in all areas, strength, balance. Coordination was good. They offered to put the diver on surface oxygen anyway, but the diver declined. He suggested that for the next day of diving to loosen her BCD straps and ensure she was properly weighted. Followed up again with the diver at the end of the next day of diving. The diver indicated she had loosened the BCD, especially area around the straps, made the cummerbund less tight. It was much more comfortable longer tight under the armpits or across her stomach, but she had a little soreness that remained. The conclusion was, Ivor was fortunate that she had a knowledgeable dive professional that didn't rely solely on a laundry list of symptoms when discussing her concerns. Often divers incorrectly rely on more on internet searches in an attempt to self-diagnose rather than seeking medical care. This often results in inaccurate, incomplete information, not provided in context, and creates an unnecessary level of anxiety. Because membranes are normally moist but can dry out quickly when breathing cold, dry, compressed air, the body's natural response is to create more mucus, moisture to lubricate, protect the tissues. Tissues become drier, because membranes become cracked, and they bleed. This is not uncommon in low, high, humidity climates. Eating membranes combined with excess mucus production can also lead to a bloody mucus in your mask, especially when servicing. Not uncommon for the diver to blow nose, teen mucus from the nostril for several hours afterward. A diver complains of pain in the armpit area, the abdominal region after diving seems reasonable to assume DCS. However, Taking the leap directly to DCS prevents consideration of other possibilities. After real ruling out other symptoms, a professional lightly continued with additional questions and a proper field neurological assessment. After ruling out presence of neurological symptoms, the conversation turned to equipment and found the diver's pain was directly correlated to the way her BCD fit proper recommendation of loosening the vertical straps in addition to the cummerbund resulted in a better dive experience with no additional problems. It was lengthy, but it was interesting when you look at complete exam they provided her to help make that decision of who you didn't have a DCS. But with that said, we don't see anybody else on board yet. Continue, I suppose, waiting for them to come on board. I mean, Craig is still there. 
Well, I'll just start talking a little bit. I sent Darren an article a couple of weeks ago we didn't get back to, but it was called The Missing World War II Submarine Tickleback is 11,000 feet below the surface. The Tickleback is a submarine that was used for training during World War II. It was wrecked during a training exercise in Hawaii in 1958. Sub was executing maneuvers 19 miles from the coast of the Barbarous Point of Ohio. I can't even pronounce where it is. It's off of Hawaii. During the exercise, the sub lost power. The crew was able to use emergency power to bring the uh, sub back to the surface. The dent collided with a destroyer escort. That resulted in the Silverstein, or with the uh, Silverstein, which was destroyer, led to the sinking of the submarine. All the people got off of it. It's remained there for a bazillion years, but it's found by what they call the Lost 52 Project. It's a, a group that searches for World War II shipwrecks. Now, the Sickleback was commissioned in March 29, 1945, did see action in the Korean and the Cold Wars, and was returned to surface in 1951 to serve as a training ship. It was 311 feet long, could do 20 knots on the surface, and eight and submerged. Said the uh, emergency ballast brought the sickle back to the circus or to the surface, brought it into the destroyer. No fatalities in the collision. Everybody abandoned ship. The rescue team attempted to retrieve the vessel, but the interior components had flooded, made the task impossible. Therefore, they had another wreck at 11,000 feet. The project also, I mean, the Lost Project 52 also in the news for discovering the wreck of the USS Grayback was considered one of the most successful U.S. subs in World War II. It was on patrol in the South Pacific and China Sea when it vanished in February of 1944. During the war, the Grayback had torpedoed a number of enemy vessels, rescued many aviators, and sank more than a dozen, a dozen Japanese ships. It never came back from its 10th mission was listed as the 20th most successful submarine in World War II based on tonnage sank. The 24th most successful based on number of ships that it did sink. It was listed as missing, presumed lost, or being found by lost 22. The war was over. The U.S. Navy used Japanese military records to figure out the history of the subs in the war. And I should say the position of subs they claimed to have sunk during the war. As of 1949, the Navy believed the Grayback was sunk 100 miles east, southwest of, or southeast of Okinawa. Breakthrough, though, was last year through the efforts of a Japanese amateur researcher, he discovered there was an incorrect digit in the Japanese records. Grayback actually sank 100 miles from the site where the Navy expected to find it. Grayback was awarded two Navy commendations to honor her 7th to 10th war patrols and received eight battle stars for service in World War II. Lost 52 Project states that their aim is to preserve and tell the stories of World War II submarines and their crews trying to account for missing World War II Navy sailors. So far, the team has discovered six, with five more discovered by other organizations. It's quite an interesting article. Uh, the pictures of the one 
11,000 feet was quite interesting because it's hanged up pretty good. It has got a lot of sea growth on it, which appears to be eating away uh, metal in the submarine. The last uh, picture was one of a triple side scan, which basically just was a composite. It's quite interesting. I mean, it's on the bottom, kind of straight up. It's broken in two sections. So good luck to the uh, 52 Project 52 people and their uh, endeavors. So with that, I'll just leave that alone. Since I don't see anybody coming back, don't see a lot of participative talk, uh, personally think I'm going to discontinue for the evening. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Everybody stay safe wherever you're at. Uh, me, I'm quarantining myself, and uh, even though I am having food delivered, I really have not seen another person closer than 15 or 20 feet for five weeks now. And I don't really mind it, but I do miss diving. So hopefully we'll get this resolved in a hurry. Other than that, I will see you guys hopefully next week. Take care and stay safe. All right, this any better? Cool. <laughs> well, hopefully Darren can save this. Yeah, Darren sent me a series of texts for the joke. And I think I might be missing one. Comma <laughs> L. I don't know. I pasted what he gave me, and it's a little disjointed. Look, folks, I think this is going to be the end of the podcast here. I'm going to hang out here so the uh, channel stays open for Darren to come in and hopefully save it. I know he, he can do a lot with the editing here, but uh, we are, you know, about at our regular time anyway. I'm sure Darren's going to edit the crap out of this. Yep, and you're hearing, yeah, it might be here a while. He's rebooting again, so it, it might be a while till Darren comes back in. Evan, are you there? I can hear you now, Mac. <laughs> uh, oh, I have no clue where Darren went. Yeah, he got Darren and I got kicked out. Did you? And I think Karen did as well because Karen came back in about the same time as I did. We had to all reboot. Uh, did you get kicked out, Mac? Never did. Went ahead and finished the safety. Went over a submarine one and signed out. I made a note at eleven o'clock. If he's editing, because Craig is still recording. So like somebody asks, is that going to the cloud or does that go to somebody else or what? I hate I to really think I lost know. it. I, hate I to really think don't know. I haven't handled that part of the, of the podcast here. I'm getting texts from Darren that he's, you know, keeps trying to reboot. We got a message here from him says the problem is, Discord says the problem is fixed. Well, ask but, him yeah. if he's, if he's going to lose that recording or can we do something? you going to lose that recording or can we do something about it? Question mark. You want me to stay on the channel for a while until you get logged in? He's responding now. Oh, the wonderful joys of technology here. Of course, we couldn't do it without technology. We're getting there. Darren tells me the recording with Craig should be fine. Oh, all right, so we he can still edit. We've got a good show then. Yeah, it'll be a little bit shorter because we got started kind of late. I think we went on about nine fifty, and we ran into this wall here about eleven o'clock. 
So if you did your uh, safety talk, Mac, it sounds like that got in there okay. And see, I texted in his uh, joke, but I think I'm missing a piece of it because it came to me in a series of texts, and it was kind of – I didn't get it if that was, was all there. <laughs> Came up choppy. Yeah, the copy will be fine. I'm just going to hang out here until Darren gets in and hand it over to him. Or you can do that, Mac, if you want. I don't know. I think one of us should hang out until Darren gets in just to – I can leave it on. It's not a big deal. Yeah. You got to work tomorrow, don't you? I do. I'll do. Go ahead and bail. I'll just hang on to it right here. That'll work. Hey, nice chatting with you folks. Have a good night, and we'll catch you on the flip side next week. Okay. Be safe out there. All right. Laters. Stay healthy, guys. The only thing I didn't say is uh, stay safe, everybody. (laughs) 